Life is a winding road No telling where it goes Driving through days and nights Won't stop for traffic lights And I I really wanna know, really wanna know Alright, and good afternoon Well, good afternoon where I'm at What time is it? Where you're at, Stephanie? 8 p.m. Okay, so good, good, almost night. <laughs> from, but I am so glad that you are joining us today for a live edition of Successfully Chaotic. We are in season nine, and today I am honored to have our guest Stephanie Pierce on. We are going to be talking about a couple of things, but primarily, I wanted to talk about your book. Uh, we got to know each other. We were kind of doing the pre-pod chat that I do, and I really loved the cookbook that you have, which is, you know, helping people with all abilities be able to kind of dive into the love of cooking. And as many of my listeners and followers know, I do have a son that's autistic and that's very close to my own heart. And I'm very passionate about that subject. So I really was excited to have Stephanie come on and talk about that. Before we get started, though, I would like you to jump in and kind of introduce a little bit about yourself. And I guess tell people where you're calling from since they know it's 8 p.m. Fantastic. Fair enough. I'm calling from France. I live in the south. I'm It's called. It's a funny little sort of college slash beach town. Really fun place to live. I love it. You know. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so yeah. So a bit about my personal background. So like when I was a teenager, my mom got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and that triggered me having to learn to cook for my family. And because she had a few different episodes, there was the whole thing, you know, uh, various inmate situation kind of thing, inpatient, I thought inmate <laughs> situation, rather. Uh, so my learning how to cook out of necessity turned into an interest, a passion, and now it's a go full blown obsession, which is fantastic, you know, I love it. Um, so backing up, you know, a little bit. So I was funny when I was studying psychology, and this is at the time where there were horrible budget cuts at our university because it was just that time in California, you know, thing. And so it was a terrible experience. I was like, hang on a second, I'm, I'm suffering here when I could be thriving. And so I decided to go to culinary school instead. So I signed up my next semester. And then after my first semester thinking, oh, well, I'm amazing at cooking, this is great, I decided I was going to go work in a food like in a food environment. And so like, I had to cook at a homeless shelter in San Francisco for my very first job in the kitchen. And then I went back to school a few years later. Uh, before that, I worked in a few different restaurants in the San Francisco area. Like, I worked in fine dining, I worked in neighborhood places, I did all kinds of random restaurant experiences. And then, I went back to, and then I went back to school to study communicative disorders, and then I wanted to work with people with disabilities of all kinds. Um, that's a little bit about my background and how I kind of fell into this weird sort of hybrid of disability and food, and it comes together really nicely. I love that. And I know, you know, you, you mentioned kind of your own story on having to kind of jump in and learn how to cook. Was was it more the feeling of not knowing what to do, of you know not knowing where to start? What was that that made you think, ah, oh, you know, I really think that this would be, you know, something that the world needs is to have a cookbook like this. Is that kind of what your thought process was, or how how did that work? Well, it was yes, the need to learn how to cook, but also like uh, the thing of it is, I also have dyspraxia, which is this weird like developmental disorder, and not super well known at this point. And uh, it affects all kinds of different aspects of a person. Like for me personally, it's my speech. It's why I talk super fast and I apologize for that in advance. That's just how I sound. I'm sorry or not. It depends on how you look at things, you know. 
and then I had difficulty with learning new skills, social anxiety. My sense of direction is appalling. People always tell me, never follow staff. And you will get lost miserably. It's great, you know. So I'm going to get lost. You follow me every time, every single time. Uh, but my speech has gotten much better over time. Google Maps became a thing, so I don't get lost often anymore. And it's definitely coming together nicely. Um, so basically, so because of my own experience, needing to know how to cook, and then wanting to become a chef, and then having this disability to contend with, which was not super simple, because if you're working in a restaurant and you have a disability, it's not super easy at all, just because it's very stressful in a restaurant. Like, you're literally, you know, side pressure. <laughs> it's very stressful. Yeah. There's no sense. I've never been more stressed out in my life than working on the line during Saturday night. It's been terrible. <laughs> so it's a lot of pressure to be sure. Um, anywho, so the idea with this book came to be like it began as a book for beginners, and then I was like, wait a second, you know, this is applicable to people with disabilities as well. Uh, just because it was designed, um, to be accessible for everybody. Like, the idea was initially, initially, like very basic, uh, culinary jargon, and then uh step-by-step -step pictures and that's sort of where i was at and then i sort of took it one step further i'm gonna go into this a bit more but um being very intentional about the way that i could make it work for everybody regardless of their ability and have you have you got any feedback from people on using the book how it's improved their cooking journey or like because i always love to hear kind of that other side like oh you know this person you know, use this and is now able to do X, Y, Z. Have you been able to get any feedback like that? Absolutely, yeah. Like I was uh, talking to, uh, about this particular project of mine to a director of a special needs school in the Bay Area and we're in, and it's like a it's very fancy, super bougie, like basically like people who are wealthy can who can afford to send their kids to this very exclusive school, special needs kind of thing. And he saw the book and he was amazing. He was, he was super amazing, it's great. So he actually gave it uh, to like one of the the classes to use together, like, like one of the more high functioning classes because it is it is still a book. There's still words, yeah, of course. So a more high functioning class, and they use it together as uh, as a classroom to, to to make different recipes, and it was very successful apparently. And then like a friend of mine um, purchased the book for her child actually, and that worked a treat. So that was another sort of demographic I didn't even thought of, you know, because I mean kids are great. I don't know much about them. You know, kind of thing. So I didn't really think about that as a, as another uh, audience for sure. Oh, absolutely. And the name of your cookbook is is the Picky Tongue. Is that correct? It's Picky Tongue Idiot Proof. Picky That's tongue. my second. Book. Okay. What's the other one called? Picky Tongue in the Cookbook, and that one is a very different ball game. That's more to tell my story. Like that's like a culinary autobiography. So every single okay. recipe is it's more complicated food than Idiot Proof for sure. Because I mean, it can be honestly. Um, and it, um, how do I put it? It's like every single recipe has a small story about where it comes from, like in terms of my personal life. And it was, uh, it was a really fun experience. Like the photography in that book is by Erin Herb Cohen and she's an amazing photographer based in Wisconsin now, I think. I think she, she moved from Tel Aviv. That's where I was living when I did all the photos and such and all the books. And um, so, yeah, so that book was like the photographs are very sort of sunny, light, very fresh, breath of fresh air, natural lighting. And then the books for Idiot Proof are a bit more intentional. Like they're a little bit darker, a bit sultrier, like particularly this sort of like one final uh, artistic photograph. Like there's like, 
you know, handcuffs and like a chest set and just like in the uh -huh. background, really interesting sort of uh, it's some it, some uh, dimension. Yeah, it's very cool. It has a lot more. It's it's it's, it's like more interesting. I would say for sure. I'm really happy with the way this came out. They're amazing. I do want to kind of circle into just talking about inclusivity and in the kitchen because, like you mentioned, you do work in a kitchen, mm -hmm. and I I've worked in restaurants. I actually own a coffee shop and cafe now, so I do have. I'm not a chef, but I do have you know, a little bit of an idea of how kitchens run and how it goes. And you're right, it can be very stressful. It can go from completely calm and organized to just like complete chaos at the snap of a finger, just depending sure. on who comes in, right? So when you're talking about just um, special needs or, you know, any type of disabilities, that can be a challenge when you're talking about that high level pressure or stress. What is your recommendation, just based on your own experience, on how you know, people that um, own your restaurants or manage restaurants can help with that. And also people that have disabilities can help kind of manage those stressful, tense situations. Yeah, sure. Well, yes, many questions at once, which is really yes. fun. I'm gonna sort of start with, uh, I'm gonna sort of take them all and answer, if that's, if that's okay with you. Um, in terms of, um, I so, in general, I personally feel, and I've asked around to my chef friends, people who own restaurants, people who work in restaurants, and everybody's felt the same way. They don't oppose people with disabilities in the kitchen. Not at all. They're all yeah. for it. Fantastic. However, it's a caveat of not knowing how to help them fit in. Because where do you essentially fit somebody who, for example, epilepsy? wouldn't be the best fit in a, for most kitchens because of like the, the obnoxious light, the friends running around and so on and so forth. But if you change that environment in the first place and make it a more healthful environment for everybody. So taking a breath, you know, not running around so much, not letting the stress of the ticket machine get into you, you know, that makes a very big difference uh, for sure. Um, and like as a sort of more basic point, like food is an essential part of the human existence. Like people have the right to learn to cook and they should, because without food, you don't survive and you can live three days and then we're done, you know, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I really feel like there's this importance about uh, like just access to culinary knowledge, really a very, very important aspect of things. No, I absolutely agree. And I know, you know, as, being someone again that's the uh, the mother of a special needs person and then also the owner of businesses that can be kind of a hard um i guess thought process on how to have the business function the way that it needs to and making sure that there are adaptations that people need to make sure that it is an inclusive workspace and i think a lot of um employers are that's kind of on their the forefront of their mind like you mentioned especially like in kitchens and stuff as well on how do we make that happen how do we bridge the gap and i really love what you said about it should be a healthy environment for for everyone and doing a few things is going to benefit everyone and i think that that is something that you know as we kind of continue down this road of really adapting workplaces to fit different abilities that's something that kind of needs to be in the discussion process with you know how to make this a, a better suitable environment for everyone you know um i want to talk about your your cookbook again just for a minute um what was your creative process on adapting these recipes to accommodate different abilities were there some key considerations that you thought about 
because I was sitting to think about when you told me that you have this type of a cookbook, I was like, I wonder what are the adaptations for that? Like, how does, is it just the wording you use? Is it the steps you take? How, do, how does that work? Well, it's many different things, actually. Like, the idea with the step-by-step -step pictures, that's such a crucial part. Actually, it came from a friend of mine uh, who's actually on here. Hey, Liz, love you. Um, who told me, yeah, you know, book for beginners, people people who can all use this book will make it super obvious. It's obvious you know, to, every, to everybody, not just, you know, like a single individual kind of thing. Yeah. That was a humongous aspect of it, just having really every single step, you know, pick up your lemon, juice that lemon, grate your zest, whatever. Everything is very detailed like that. That's a crucial aspect, absolutely. And then the font is very important as well. Um, I use a very big font, like the kind that you cannot misread or it's too loopy or too whatever, you know, very, very intentional, very clear font. Uh, the vocabulary, everything is like the least cookbooky dragon you could possibly think of like it's literally like you know like uh say you're doing uh fish like take your fish place it on the sheet tray take your olive oil drizzle it over your fish whatever you know and you cannot like it's not using the fancy culinary dragon at all it's very like every single day person you know, kids as well, as I mentioned previously, can use this book. People with Down syndrome can use this book, autism, whatever. All the like, people can all use the book. It's really wonderful. Uh, and then I was also, um, I found that an important part of the book was also the section about knife cuts because most cookbooks will have like julienne the onion. Well, what's a julienne? So I did a whole section on just knife cuts, like with like, how to do them specifically and then what it looks like and so on and so forth, you know? And then there's like sections on how to make spaghetti, different kinds of egg cookery. Uh, and then things are a bit more interesting, like, you know, how to properly empty a pomegranate. That's not obvious for most people, in fact, you know, not to see what disabilities. So very helpful sort of tidbits are scattered throughout the book. It's very cool. Now, I think I love that you did that, first of all. I, I love the idea that not because I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I don't know that I even know because <laughs> I did not go to culinary school. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's funny, um, people that ask me now, like, did you go to culinary school? Because I have the cafe. I'm like, no, I did not. I grew up cooking. I have a big family. I've always cooked. The whole cafe thing was kind of an accident. That's a long story. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, having uh, access to something like this, I think is great as far as family cooking, too. Um, I know I was thinking, you know, this type of a cookbook would be perfect for families who are wanting to cook together. So then re regardless of abilities or, you know, age, you know, this is something that a family could get together and actually prepare a meal together. That's something that I think some families are hopping on board and doing again. It used to be something we all used to do, but right. you kind of stepped away from that a little bit. And I have noticed that there are a lot more families kind of talking about this again, like, hey, what happened to these big family dinners we used to do, you know, back in the day that we, you know, we need to kind of do that again. But the problem is, is a lot of the abilities are all over the place because some of these kids are teenagers now and have never cooked, you know, and, you know, some adults have never cooked that I, I know, <laughs> you know, so the abilities can be everywhere, um, regardless of, you know, if they have a quote unquote disability or a different, uh, you know, ability or, you know, their age or whatever, just the fact that they've just never been taught how to do some of these things. And I, you know, I think that, I don't know. I never thought about a cookbook like this until you mentioned it. And then all of all these light bulbs and my head went off and I was like, that's really interesting and very much needed, which got me thinking about all kinds of things that need that same 
type of thought process, you know, um, because, you know, when, when you have a special needs kid, like my, my child, it's, he's 14 now. And, you know, when he was younger, I, he was kid, you know, number five. So by the time you have five kids, you think you've got this parenting thing down, (laughs) right? You know what you're doing. And then he was a a whole lot different of an experience. And so I had to kind of shift my thinking on parenting and how, how to teach him how to do certain things. And I couldn't do it the way that I did with my other children. And, you know, I think it is important to kind of think about that. It's not that, you know, he wasn't just as smart, actually probably arguably smarter than my other kids even, but it was just that his, the way his brain processed things was different. So I had to change and I had to kind of adapt, which was, which is hard, you know, at my age to be able to, cause I had to relearn how to teach, right? I had to relearn <laughs> how to do all these things in a different way to be able to explain them in a different way. And I think that's why it's so important for, you know, you could think of employers or, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends, it doesn't even have to be like your child or your, you know, the, your friend's child or whoever it is. You know, I think it's important to kind of think about like some of these things that we take for granted that we know how to do, you know, that may not have been their experience on being able to learn those things. And, you know, um, I, I, I love this idea, I really do. And I, I, w- I do wanna ask again too, when you're thinking about teaching someone, you know, cooking, you know, regardless of ability, are there specific tools or gadgets that you recommend for simplifying the cooking process? And, and, and does that matter depending on like the different abilities or? Well, okay. Like, um, I spent three years in London teaching adults with learning disabilities how to become chefs. So I taught all kinds of disabilities. Like there was like autism, Down syndrome, epilepsy, uh, left side and brain damage, all kinds of various, you know, abilities. Um, like, and then with that came different physical skills, different cognitive abilities, um, different interests, different uh, physical aptitudes, different communicative uh, components as well, of course. But I'm not much of a person for gadgets, really. I mean, I would recommend some cut gloves if you want to avoid disasters, honestly, because no one wants to be bleeding all over the place. It's no fun. So maybe some cut gloves. Otherwise, just go, really, you know, like. Just simple. Um, I mean, like, I always started small with them, and I still, when I'm still teaching today, I start quite small. So first, you know, we make a salad. So this is how you learn, you know, talk about different ingredients. You can talk about different seasonings, introduce spices if you're into that, or herbs in this case, more likely, honestly. Um, so studying with that and then working your way up into doing like a soup because then you don't have to worry too much about how it's going to look. It's going to be pureed down, right? So you can literally just have some sloppy knives that you're learning with and, and you just sort of work with that. And then that way you learn how to use different kind of tools like a blender or, you know, learning how to control the heat source, super important, like learning the difference between a full blown boil versus just a simmer. It's a crucial aspect of cooking. It's simple, but it's not obvious necessarily. You know, no, so I like, like that idea. Like for example, like when I was in London, I had like different apprentices, and I worked with them every single day for a year each. Um, so like one person I worked with, he has Down syndrome, and uh, I still say autism to this day. No one believes you, but I still say autism. <laughs> it's one of those things. You know how you know how it is. Come on. Um, and he also had a, or has selective mutism and he was super adorable. Like I love people with Down syndrome. They're amazing. They're so wonderful, really. And he was super cute and he needed his hugs and his physical encouragement because 
he wasn't really much much one for for speech because he just didn't really talk to me for the first six months like maybe a couple words hello goodbye and then we're done everything all the, all the communication was very much nonverbal. it was really interesting loved it you know and uh even this person learned how to cook like a beast at the end of his of his year program he was making cakes and wonderful like middle eastern dishes was my thing at the time so he was super into that he just took on all this information without being able to, or not without not without being able but without choosing that he needed to be speaking for example it was really wonderful and then i work with somebody else who's memorable as well with autism a more high functioning person i would say for sure quite verbal for sure um he came in super into food anyway so that was one less thing that can find with with someone who's kind of hunched over like i don't want to be here uh and he was really into baking which i could do a bit at the time but yeah not as well as i do now i've had a lot of practice since then you know uh but he left his program and he was better at baking than i was at the time by a lot actually because he was the kind of person it's the kind of person rather who's very into detail which is somebody with dyspraxia i struggled with so like the restaurant i'd be like you're making the cake you don't have the finicky little bits i can't do properly you can do that i'll do my thing over here on this side i want to meet halfway it's great you know yeah and uh his whole thing was just to um tell me oh i'm autistic i don't want to do this you know i can't do this i've got dyspraxia now you can get back to your station and, and we're going to meet halfway and that's that and that was it it was really fun and really great and uh, really cool experience to be sure yeah i, I love that and i, I in your experience of teaching people did you find that they were able to almost because did you mention the one guy that wasn't ever verbal the whole time he was in your class and that got me thinking do you feel that allowing them to learn how to cook it allowed them another expression you know because you mentioned nonverbal expression and obviously there's lots of them but i feel like you know being able to create you know these dishes and um you know pastries or cakes or whatever they're creating they're able to express themselves in another manner and did you see that becoming you know a big part of how they were expressing themselves now oh very much so just because like what you can't necessarily do through words you can do through food like cooking is an art form like any other yeah yeah science as well but i still say mostly art because i'm much more when i say person than science person that's just how i operate personally yeah. So definitely in our form, it's just like a painter on a canvas, a chef in a pot. It's not so different, really. No, I, I, I can see that. And as far as the book goes, um, you've got the two books out. Is that the only books you have out right now? Right now, yes. And then I'm working on a third book right now, which is I started it during Corona and then I sort of left it for a year. And then now I'm sort of back at it at the snail's pace. <laughs> Yeah. Normally I'm so on it, but this one is taking me a long time because I'm doing the photo myself as well, so it takes a bit longer. And it's uh, slow food. It's called Picky Shang Lockdown, and uh, so it's it's just supposed to be a joke in poor taste, like any proof. Also a joke in poor taste. I like jokes in poor taste. That's how I operate. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it really is just this this whole idea that food should be long and difficult, not difficult, but heartfelt process to produce um that you can really take your time and take three four seven hours to produce a meal and it's going to be worth it even the feeding for half an hour an hour whatever that experience that you've made producing your seven hour dishes and sharing that with your family your friends whoever your neighbor i don't care 
is magical. It is worth the effort. I don't care. It takes too long, whatever. It's amazing. It's so I 100% agree with you. And I know, you know, and I'm in the States and I know you are from the States. And so I, I, I do have the question, um, living in France, I'm sure it's a different experience than here in the States where it does seem to be much more rushed. And like I said, there is this like underground movement happening. It's been happening since COVID actually that we realize that, hey, we're just moving too fast. Like things are just, just too quick, too fast. And we're missing out on that. Like you just said, these slow meals, this actually waiting to have to enjoy this like you wait all day like i can remember growing up and you know my mom or my grandma or somebody they would cook all day we could smell it all day and we would just our mouth would water all day just waiting for it to be done and we don't do that as much as we used to and you know i think some of it is very much um the environment you know in the states but where you're at in france is it still that same rushed mentality or is it more laid back there it's so different like to give you an example most businesses where i live say most businesses where i live are closed between 12 and 2 because people are on lunch break right people like when they do go out for lunch which is pretty often like you're there for an hour and a half on your lunch break and no one will mess around with you. people will drink a glass of wine or two at lunch people will have a three-course meal at lunch they're not scarfing down the sandwich in the corner like they're really enjoying the time to be with their co-workers or whoever's around you know to get to know them and enjoy a nice proper side down meal and then they come back and refreshed and they can work the whole 35 hours a week that people work in france because that's the law because they don't mess around 40 45 hours a week like, like we do in the u.s you know yeah. It's very different. Like, there's this really nice quality of life that I'm really enjoying living here, actually, because before this, I was living in Israel, where the standard is 45 hours a week of work, and it's even more Russian than the States, and it's madness overall, honestly. So I'm glad to be here. It's a breath of fresh air. Really a very nice place to be. I'm quite enjoying my life here. Do you feel that your experience there with taking the longer lunches, really enjoying the meal, like all of that, do you, do you see the positive attributes to mental health and especially mental health with people that do have different abilities? Because obviously, you know, that could be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, but do you, do you feel that, you know, that laid back lifestyle is actually has positive effects on the mental health? There. No, absolutely. Like people here are generally much happier than they are in the U.S. Like, you know, like oftentimes, like you're in a big city and people are kind of mugging, walking down the street. They're upset about something. They're stressed out. They're hunched over. They don't feel good, yeah. you know. And then here, people walk a bit slower. It's sunny most of the year. They're having a dandy old time of life, and people are just typically happier. It's amazing. And there is a supportive environment. Like there's this uh, quote unquote chain of uh, restaurants that are all over France now. It's called Cafe Joyeux. It means happy cafe. It's very cute, I think. And I heard happy cafe. Yeah. It's, it's really cute. And uh, it's kind of like how I was working in London with people with disabilities in the kitchen. Like they hire people with disabilities on unlimited contracts so they cannot get fired. It's impossible or nearly. Um, and so they hire people with disabilities to work with them, like alongside people that are neurotypical, uh, for example, so they'll have like one or two neurotypical chefs in the kitchen and then they'll have maybe three or four people with disabilities of various types um, working along with them. And the servers also have disabilities. It's really nice that like, they're learning and it's a very fun place to hang out, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's really nice. It's a very sort of telling 
aspect of what life is like in France. Like you can have somebody with a disability waiting a table and it's not even a thing. Okay. You know, you look different, you act different, whatever, you know, who cares? It's awesome. Now, what are what are some things that the culinary world, whether it's a small cafe or you know a larger restaurant, what are some things? Because I love that idea. What are some things that they could adopt to be able to make that successful? To be able to hire in, you know, people that do have different abilities, and to be able to kind of make that you know work with their current environment. I know you mentioned earlier about you know lower lighting and less stress, and I think that you know those are really good points. But I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to add to that. Um, for me, the most important aspect really is just the knowledge, like what is a disability, what are some of the attributes of people with disability, what are some, what are some strengths, especially what are, I guess, not weaknesses per se, but just things to be aware of. Uh, and then just getting this massive idea behind people's heads that it's, an, it's a person first and then it's a disability. So you have to get to know yeah. that person, like for their quirks, their, their sense of humor, their personalities, their likes, dislikes, whatever. It's this crucial aspect and we forget about people with disabilities that they're people first. We're people first, in fact, if I can say so. And uh, it's very, very important, honestly, and it's forgotten so often. Awesome. Well, I, I do want to let everyone know kind of where they can find your books, where they can kind of find out more about you. I don't know if you're everywhere as far as like uh, social media and all that, um, but I would be able, I would like to be able to leave them with somewhere to kind of be able to check out your books and, you know, follow a little bit more about your journey um, if you wanted to kind of get that out. And if the people are listening to this on the podcast platform, all of the links and stuff will be in the show notes below. But right now I'm going to have her you know, kind of shout it out live here. Sure. So, so my books are on Amazon. So it's very simple. Picky Tongue Idiot Proof is the one for disabilities and then Picky Tongue the Cookbook for my story. And then you can find me on Instagram at Picky Tongue Cooking. All one word, no dashes, underscores, whatever nonsense. Which that's awesome. And I'm going to get the book. I'm excited about it. And I know you know, here I've been talking to my son, um, like I said, he's 14 and he's going to be trained to be a barista here. And, you know, I'm kind of some of the questions I was asking, I was asking also for myself because, you know, again, we're in this part of the journey that it's like, OK, well, I've never had a, a child with autism and he is higher functioning as well at this point in his journey. He, he wasn't like years ago in his journey, but he is now. And, um, you know, I, I'm learning too, right? And so then I've also never trained him to be a barista. So I'm learning too, and I've never trained him to do these things. So I'm very interested in, you know, getting the book myself and being able to kind of share that with him. And I encourage if, you know, if you're listening right now and, you know, you have a loved one or a friend, family member that, you know, would enjoy this book that you go to the link that's in the show notes and kind of check that out. You know, Christmas is right around the corner. So this would be a great <laughs> gift as well. So is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before we hop off here? Yeah, we're just saying this like as a general message. Like to work with people with disabilities, all you really need is to have the good intention and just to be able to exercise patience and kindness, which are good life lessons anyway. So just jump on that. You know, it's very important. I love that. Perfect. I couldn't have ended this better. And thank you all for listening so much. If you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, please make sure you hit subscribe to never miss an episode and check you on next time. No telling where it goes. Driving through days and nights. Won't stop for traffic lights.